Morning, Cornerstone. Hey, so good to see you this morning. Hey, I want us to consider one thing this morning. We put this in our mind, ask ourselves this question. Is Jesus strong enough, powerful enough, big enough for me to trust my life to? Um, we, 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 we trust our eternal life to him, or at least I hope you have. So if we would trust what's going to happen after death, why would we not trust every hour, every day of our life, our relationships, our money, our kids, our job to Jesus? Is he strong enough? I've been thinking about something along, along these very lines here recently, and that, that is, I, I got to realizing that I was praying about things that I think were just going to come to be whether I prayed about them or not. And I started thinking, wait a minute. We're talking about God. We're talking about the God of the universe. How to be praying for stuff that's so much bigger than that. So that's what I started doing. And when I do stuff like that, I just have this tendency to talk to people about it. Just talk about, you know, I'm talking to God about stuff. I'm asking for things that are big, things that I can't do, things that just won't necessarily happen on their own. So I was telling people about it. And all of a sudden I thought, you know, I got to do this with my kids. Uh, every, every night since we brought them home from the hospital, they're 11 and 13 now, I, I go into the room and I pray with them. My wife follows me afterwards. She goes into the room and prays with them. And so this one night I go into my son's room and I say, son, um, hey, I want to do something a little different tonight. I said, um, let's, let's think about things that only God could do that we want to pray about. And um, can you think of anything that only God could provide, just not the normal stuff that we pray about? And it was funny because all of a sudden it's like this grocery list of things. Well, we could ask God for this. We could ask God for this. We could ask God for this. We could ask for God for that. And I'm just going, oh my goodness, he thinks it's Christmas. I'm thinking this isn't really where I was going with this. I wasn't, he wasn't even quite sure what to do. So I said to him, I said, hey, why don't we, um, why don't you just go ahead and pray for those things? So um, we started to pray. And, and then I went over to my um, daughter's room and I said to her, I said, um, hey, I want you to pray tonight for something that is so big that only God could do it. And if it happened, we would know God did that in your life. And um, she goes, oh, I know what that is. And she said what it was. I said, why don't you pray for that? So she prayed for that, and it was a cool prayer. And when she was done, I said, I have a question for you. That didn't sound that big. That didn't seem like something that only God could do. She goes, Dad, it's only happened three times in history. For it to happen to me, I think that is something that only God could do. I'm like, wow, you are right. Now, I, I understand when, when a preacher tells these kinds of things, you know what's coming next. You, you know that coming next is going to be this amazing story about how God answered that huge prayer. I don't have that story. I don't have an answer yet. But I do know that God is powerful enough to answer those prayers. As I, as I throw that out, what I would love to see happen is I'd love for each of you 
to just right now think of that thing that was so big that you could pray for and ask God for. I'd love, for, I'd love to see you do that. But here's my concern. My concern is that there are probably a bunch of us in this room that while you believe God can do it, you're not real sure if he can do it. And you're not real sure if he's powerful enough to do it. You've prayed for things in the past, didn't see them come to be. And so it's not something that you could just boldly go, God, here it is. And I think oftentimes what happens to many of us is that we choose Jesus to follow in our life sort of the same way that I choose a gas station. I've chosen Costco gas. It's easy in and out for me, but I actually have an ulterior motive when I go to Costco. I can normally talk the family into staying, and I can go inside and get those little uh, samples and cups and snacks and walk around there and get 160 calories in one visit um, at Costco for free. I'm like, all about free food. And, and so it's just worked out well for me. Hey, you know, seriously, Shell gasoline is probably the same price. It's probably just as easy to get in and out of. Um, six, one, half does the other. For some reason, I've chosen Costco. What my concern is, as we talk about this thing, is that a lot of you have chosen Jesus basically thinking in your mind, hey, he's one of the options for religious leaders, ones to follow, probably six and one, half dozen the other. I just happened to grow up in a home that Jesus was sort of the name thrown around. I, a friend invited me here. I feel comfortable. Lynn has shared with us how we can put our faith and trust in Jesus alone. I've done that, and I'm cool with that, but in your mind, you're thinking, maybe it could have been something else. And what I'd love to do right now over the next couple minutes is just help you see by opening up your Bible that there is no equal to Jesus, that Jesus is over and above and puts all the rest to nothingness. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Colossians. Um, it's, it's a real thin little book because it's actually a letter so if you start at the back of your Bible and move forward slowly, don't go too far. Um, so start at the back and go forward. You're going to get to the book of Colossians. We started there last week. The book by the Apostle Paul, he writes this letter to this church at a place called Colossae. Um, no different than writing a letter to you all. Actually, that church, uh, the people there were doing well. They were struggling a little bit because they had grabbed in some of these other religious philosophies, and that was sort of messing with their heads a little bit, and so Paul would eventually address that. But basically, they're doing well. And as he opens up and where we started last week, he prays this prayer. And he prays this prayer for the people at Colossae. My, my problem with the prayers in the Bible you know, a lot of these books right in this area of the New Testament, they start out with a prayer. And when I see that, I, this isn't right, but I just have this tendency to just read quickly over them, just sort of gloss over them and, and get to the next um, thing because I want to get to the good stuff. But we were so well directed last week and led to this opening prayer. And if you'll remember, this opening prayer, it sort of starts out with this line that sort of sets the stage for the rest of the prayer. And basically it says, hey, um, I'm praying for you that you'll know the will of God. How many of you in here would love to know the will of God? I mean, how many, I mean, seriously, you could say, okay, God, if you just tell me what it is, I, I would do it. And Paul knows that. He knows that's important to us. And um, there's that, that, that need inside of us to just know what God wants. I was speaking to a group of college students this week, and I was asking them some questions. And the thing that just kept on coming to the top constantly is, I want to know the will of God. 
And so Paul, as he's writing this prayer, and knows that he wants to know the will of God, sort of like us with our big request, he knows that there might be the thought process in our mind that we're not sure whether we could actually pray to know the will of God and get that. And so he's going to set the stage of why you can know that you can have the will of God. So that's sort of the context of what's going on here. And if you have it open now to chapter 1, I'd love for you to look down to verse 13. Verse 13 lays out a principle that if we can capture it, it'll create this framework for like our whole life that'll be extremely helpful. Listen to verse 13. It says this, for he, and that's speaking of God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. So let's, let's, Let's take this crown here and use this to help us picture this. When we were born, we were born into the kingdom of darkness. This goes all the way back to Adam, back there at the beginning, where Adam chose to go against God and do things his own way. He fell. That's why we call it the fall. He walked away from what God had asked him to do. And at that moment, he sinned. And the Bible tells us because of that sin, we now all have sin in our life and we're born into sin and we have sin in our lives. Thank you very much, Adam, for messing up the world. Before that, everything was meant to be right. Everything was perfect. But the moment Adam sinned, everything in this world went south. He talks about the kingdom of darkness. Every kingdom has a king. And that kingdom of darkness is Satan. And it is because of this kingdom of darkness that all the bad stuff that we experience in this world happens. The weird part is, is so many of us continue to go back to this kingdom of darkness. But Paul, as he's trying to explain this to us and write, write this letter to us, he says, um, there are two kingdoms. And this is what we have to get in our head. This is the principle we have to get in our head. He said, Actually, Jesus rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and he's actually placed us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's what verse 13 says. Who's the son he loves? Okay, you're being real shy. You think I'm one of those preachers that's going to ask one of those questions, and you're going to get the answer wrong, and you're going to feel really dumb. But I can tell you all know the answer. So, who's the Jesus, thank you. And, that, and that's, a, that's an easy one because um, we know in church that's one of the right answers all the time. The fact of the matter is, is God rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and he has placed us into the kingdom of the son he loves, Jesus. If you have said yes to God, if you've put your trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, You are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. You were rescued from that mess, and you were placed in the kingdom of Jesus. Every kingdom has a king. Who is the kingdom of the son he loves? Who's the king? Jesus. And he says, Jesus is our king. So here's what we know. All of life, we live in one of two kingdoms. The tension and the thing that you and I struggle with, even though we've been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness, 
we hang around and we should hang around a whole bunch of people that are still in the kingdom of darkness and we have this tendency to migrate back to the kingdom of darkness. When you've been rescued from something bad, it's something you're thankful for and going back is goofy. And Paul says here to the church, church, you have been rescued. You've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, placed into the kingdom of life, Jesus' kingdom. Now here, here is where he then says, hey, you know what? When you're in a kingdom and you have a king, you have to decide whether you can trust that king. And if you come to this place where you know you can trust that king, you can just like pour your life onto him and, and you can live at, at a level that is higher than what you've lived before. So when we talk about being rescued into that kingdom, he now says, hey, here's the deal. Let me explain to you who your king is. When you hear who this king is, you'll step to the next level. So let me take you to this. Here's who your king is. Chapter 1, verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, it says this. He is the image of the invisible God. Up until this point, no one has known what Jesus looks like. I'm sorry, what God looks like. And as Paul describes Jesus, he says he is the image of the invisible God. So just before Jesus died, Jesus is in the upper room with his friends, his disciples, the people that have followed him around all this time. They're having a conversation. They're having dinner, just, just like we're having a conversation right now. And in the midst of that conversation, Thomas says, hey, Jesus, um, where are you going? How do we get there? And Jesus um, says to him something that we've heard a lot of times. It's a, a very well-known statement now. We oftentimes don't put it in this context. But Jesus' response is, hey, I am the way, speaking of Jesus. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Well, in the midst of a conversation, there's back and forth. And at that moment, one of the other disciples, a guy by the name of Philip, he interjects in. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. No one can get to the Father but by me. Stop, stop, stop. Jesus, here's the deal. Show us the Father. That's what we want to see. We want to see God. Show us the Father. And that, I think his actual words there, that'll suffice. That's good enough. That's all we ask for. Show us the Father. And what Jesus says next is extremely important. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What Jesus says is that he is God. Jesus stepped out of heaven, came to this earth, became a man, and in so doing, the invisible became visible, became revealed to each one of us. And he declares at this moment what Paul is declaring to the church when he writes him this letter. He says, Jesus is God. I was working out the other day. I, I overheard just this little soundbite of a conversation, and I thought, that is just so weird that I heard this conversation this week. In, in the, this is what I heard. The two girls talking back and forth, and the one said, I don't know what the, their, their problem is. This, she goes to a church that believes in Jesus, and this girl goes to a church that goes, believes in Jesus, and they act like it's a different Jesus, and they're like all mad at each other. That's all I heard. So I have no idea what they were talking about, but here's what I can guess they were talking about. The reality is not everyone that says they believe in Jesus believes that Jesus is God. You remember, even Jesus said, who do you say that I am? You know, some people say he was just a good teacher, he's a great philosopher, and all this kind of stuff. Well, that was cool. If, if he's a great philosopher, if he's a great teacher, and he's not God, then he was a liar because he said that he was God. That makes him not a good teacher. 
You have to choose which one it's going to be. And as Paul writes this to us here, he says, Jesus is God. You know what? I, I hear a lot of people arguing about a lot of things, and you get all worked up and lose friendships and freak out over it. The fact of the matter is I think there's very few hills that we need to die on, but one of the hills that we need to die on is that Jesus is God. This is huge. Because if he's not God, we don't, I mean, we talk about, do we believe that he's strong enough? Do we believe that he's powerful enough? If he's not God, he's not. I know this time of the year, there's a lot of people moving in and out of the area. This is when everyone sort of shuffles around and goes and takes that other job because they want to get the kids back in school. So they go buy the house so they can be there before school starts. And probably some of you are going to be in the midst of that shuffle this summer. And um, I get asked all the time, hey, um, I'm moving to such and such town. Um, where do I go to church there? I'm like, mm, I don't know. And um, they say, well, how do, how do I know if I found a good church? I like a church just like this one. And I tell them, before you go visit, look on every website and look at their doctrinal statement. And there's something that I want you to look at first. Who do they say Jesus is? Make sure that they believe and know that he is fully God. That's a hill you want to die on. And Paul says here, he says, Jesus is the image. He is exactly God. Jesus is God. If we, if we keep on going on here in this verse, it says here, he is the firstborn over all creation. Some people say, oh, that means he was made. That means he was created. See, he's not eternal. He's not God. It says he's the firstborn over all creation. He can't be God. What they don't know is that in the original language is very clear. When it says he was the firstborn, it's talking about a place, a position of honor. Last summer, the family went, we were on vacation and. We went to, we like to go to different churches when we're on vacation. We went to this church some friends of ours invited us to. As walking in the front door of this church, it was a small church. Right beside the handicap signs, right next to the front door, is a sign, and on it it says, First Lady Parking. I said to my wife, First Lady Parking? She goes, yeah. I go, who parks there? She goes, the pastor's wife. I go, you've never had a parking spot. She goes, no, 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 no. That's what they do in their church, first lady parking. I go, why do they call her the first lady? She goes, well, it's, it's a position. They, they see her as an important and a special person. They place her in a position of honor here in this church. I said, hmm, interesting, cool. Think about it for a minute. So they call her the first lady. Does that mean that she is the first woman to ever go into that church? Does it mean that she was the first woman ever born on the face and planet of this earth? Of course not. What it's trying to say is this woman is a woman that we have given special honor to, that we raise up to a, a position, a place that is special. And Paul says as he writes this, he says, Jesus is God. Jesus left heaven and he became man and among men. He is lifted up. He is in first place. Among men, he is the first man. And you got to understand, when, when that is stated, the authorities have a fit because they want to be first. 
Everyone wants to be first. In fact, even as we hear Jesus is first, there's something in us that pushes back because there's something inside of us in this kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, that causes us to want to be in first place and in first position. But Jesus is first. He's the one that is to be first. But this is what causes us to even challenge God. You know, when things go bad in our lives and, and you know, if we, if we live and breathe, there's always something that's going wrong. And what so oftentimes happens? There's this response like, God, why? Why? Why does that happen? That's not fair. That shouldn't happen. What, what's going on in our mind? We are placing ourselves as first, and we are placing ourselves above God, saying to God, hey, God, um, I understand life better than you do, and I have a better idea of how things ought to run than you do, so I don't understand why they're running this way. And... Um, Paul says, hold on a second, he is first. He is the premier one. He is number one above all. You see, in our prayers, too often when we pray this big prayer, what we're trying to do is we're somehow trying to convince God to do something he doesn't want to do. That's why we have all this begging, God, God, you got to do this, God, this. And, and if you do, I will and then you know what happens. You know, finally it happens and we forget that we promised God all these things and we never do them. You see, prayer isn't about convincing God to do something he doesn't want to do. Prayer is actually realizing that Jesus is king and that we are his subjects and that somehow we are trying to line up with what he wants. He is first in our life. We get to know him. We get to know the king. And as we begin to talk to the king, we hear from him. And he says, hey, I'm going to dispatch you, and I'm going to let you do what I've asked you to do. And all of a sudden, we're there to serve him and, and to please him. And let, let me keep on um, reading through these verses. Verse 16. Uh, let me ask, uh, yeah, verse 16, it says this, for by him all things were created. By the way, anyone who questioned at this point that he was God, whether it was eternal, well, if he created all things, he is eternal and he is God. He is the one who has created everything. In fact, the next words tell us exactly what he created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And it says all things were created by him and for him. Everything that was created is created to accomplish God's purposes here on earth. So I told you about my son, his Christmas list, and he start big eyes, and he's, son, you pray. And he starts praying, and I, I don't think he was praying 10 seconds, and he says to me, Dad, can we stop? I'm like, sure. Dad, I don't feel good about praying these things. What happened? I mean, here I was worried about that he's just going to see this as Santa Claus and that you get anything you want from God and God's like this big celestial vending machine. And, and all of a sudden, in the midst of that, he realizes, no, he's not. And he realizes that he's king and he begins to say, I think there's some other things I had to pray about. And he begins to pray and he begins to pray in the will of God. And that's what our scripture says. When we're praying in the will of God, he will answer those prayers. Continue reading on, verse 17. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. That's why right now in this room, you're not floating around. 
He's like got gravity all dialed in. It doesn't matter the position of the moon. Gravity is always set up just perfectly. He's got it just dialed in. The oxygen levels in here are all just perfect because he's holding all that together. Everything in this world, if it weren't for him, everything would come apart. He's holding all of that together. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. Continue reading on, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the one that has forgiven us. He's the one that has given us eternal life because, look what it says next. It says, he, um, he is the firstborn, there's that word again, from among the dead. He has risen from the dead. I read a book here just recently. It was about someone's journey experience going around the world looking at different religions and different religious systems. And he talks about being in this foreign country and in the midst of this foreign country, um, he, he's watching the re religious worship there, and he said five times a day, he said they would bow down to the east, and they would worship their dead prophet. And when I read that, I go, why? Dead prophet? We read this here. We read, our God is alive. We're not bowing down to some dead prophet. We're bowing down. We're following in the service. We're living for one who is alive and living. Look at the end of verse 18. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. I understand that as, as each one of you walk into this place today, we live in a world that is not as it was supposed to be. It wasn't meant to be the kingdom of darkness. God created this world for peace. He created this world for relationship. He created this world for wholeness. And would you not agree with me right this moment that there's a lot of war in our lives? That where there was supposed to be peace, there's not peace. That in, in our lives right now, that relationship that we thought would be so good is broken. But as we look across this room, broken relationships everywhere. It's not as it was meant to be. And speaking of brokenness, you could honestly say, hey, that, that's me. But you remember back to verse 13? The verse that sort of laid the foundation that God's talking about this kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the son he loves. It says because of the forgiveness he's given, God rescued us from this. And Jesus rescues us from this brokenness and wants to offer us wholeness. Wants to offer us peace. Wants to heal our relationships. And Paul, as he prays for you that you'll know and experience the will of God, he says, I want you to believe that Jesus is strong enough, big enough to hear those prayers and to do something about them. So here's what I'd love to throw out to you. Would you this week pray the prayer that I've been praying? God, would you do something big? Something be and, and, and pray a specific prayer. 
And what I found is that that prayer has just constantly like realigned my thinking to the will of God because I'm seeing him high and lifted up, exalted one as God. And I go, I can trust in this power. I got a phone call from a friend. He's back east. He says, hey, I sent a girl and her dog your way here recently. Last night, actually. I said, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, I was driving home from work. It was like midnight. He says, I see his big dog walking alongside the road. Now, here's what you need to know about my friend. He is an animal lover. You name the animal, he loves it. He rescues it. He loves on it. He buys stuff for it. I mean, it's just insane. I could go on and tell you stuff. Any animal lovers in here? Yeah, like a lot. I mean, this guy is a mega animal lover. He sees this dog. He, he has no other, other response. He can't, he can't drive past that dog. Off to the side of the road, he pulls up. And as he's pulling up, he sees there's a woman walking in front of the dog. He pulls up. He looks at her. He says, are you all right? She goes, yeah, I'm walking to Arizona. He's like, it's late at night. Arizona's 3,000 miles away. What do you... Hop in, I'll go get you some supplies. So she gets in the car in the driver's seat. He said, the dog jumps in the back seat, sticks his head up through the center console, <laughs> just sitting there uh, panting. And he says, we went and got off the next exit, and I went into one of those stores where I get a bunch of stuff. He said, I bought her a whole bunch of stuff. And he said, I even bought a little backpack to put it in and stuffed all this stuff in the backpack. And he said, we went and got back into the car. The dog jumped up in the back seat, came up through the center console, panting and all happy. And he said to her, he says, hey, listen, it's late at night. Can I take you and buy you, pay for your hotel room? She goes, no, I need to get going to Arizona. He's like, okay. So he took her as far as his exit. And she goes, that's good, thank you. And she gets out of the car. Her dog jumps out and follows her. And my friend said, he said, I just sat there and I watched the dog. Never mind the girl. He watched the dog. I can imagine what was in that knapsack. Bones, dog food, whatever you need for dogs. I mean, that girl's probably eating dog food for the rest of the day because all he could think of was the dog. So he starts talking about the dog and what the dog was going to go through on the way to Arizona. And he talked about how this dog, there would be times when the dog wouldn't have enough food and there were times when the dog wouldn't have enough water and there was times when the dog would not get the sleep that he needs. And then he started going into it. He goes, and when he gets your way, Lee, he's going to be on those hot, hot, hot roads and his port. I'm just like, oh my goodness. And, and my mind at that moment just connected with what we're talking about today. That dog wasn't at all aware of what was ahead of him and wasn't at all concerned about the road ahead. As that dog followed that lady down the road, that dog had trust in her, had trust in his master, and had his eyes on the master, and that's all that mattered. And he knew he could trust her, and no matter what happened, it would be okay. But he believed in her enough he had been through enough with her to trust in her down the road. Here be my hope today is that even as you've looked at these verses, even as you get to look at them again in the days ahead, that you would see Jesus so high that your eyes would be upon him, that they couldn't be distracted away from him, and that you'd realize how powerful he is and trust his strength to carry you through everything in life.
You're about ready to walk out of here. You don't know what that next call is going to bring. You don't know what turning left on the road out here is going to bring. You don't know what you're going to hear at the office tomorrow. None of that matters because you know that he is strong enough to get you through it. And you put your attention, your focus in on him. Ask yourself this week, what's that thing that I want to pray for him that's bigger than me? And just take it to him. Let me pray for you. Dear God, I just bring each person in this room before you right now. I know there's a lot of people in here come in here with some just heavy burdens of stuff weighing them down. And I just pray right now that whatever that is, that this picture of Jesus and you being God and you being so huge and being over everything, creating everything and holding everything together, that we'd realize today that we have a master, a king that we can put our eyes on, that we can put our attention on, and that you will carry us through. And we do not have to worry about these things and that we can just keep on putting our attention on you. So I pray for each person that's hurting in here today. I pray for each person that has a broken relationship who just feels brokenness in their life because a bunch of junk that's happened to them because of that kingdom of darkness. Lord, I just pray that you'd remind them that they're rescued to the kingdom of your son and that they'll put their eyes on you, Jesus. If there's someone here today that's never done that, Lord, I pray that they won't leave this place until they know that Jesus is their king and they'll put all their focus, all their attention on Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Do your work in our hearts right now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.